evening. Welcome to another episode of Bakken Bios. I'm your host, Jason Spies. In this episode, we talk with President, CEO, and founder of G2IT, Brian Siebel. This Bakken Bios interview is brought to you by The Crude Life. If you want to make money the crude way, contact The Crude Life. If you have a project that requires a crude approach, then contact The Crude Life. For more information, visit the website, www.thecrudelife.com. And now, back to our Bakken bio with founder, CEO, and president of G2IT, Brian Siebel. Get rid of pain and strife. You decide to take your life and give it away. Brian Siebel. Uh, Brian, tell me about your company, G-T-U-I-T. <laughs> right. G2IT was formerly known as G2G Solutions. We just changed the name recently for trademark purposes. And we started the company in 2011 to help try to address the flaring issue in the state of North Dakota. And, and since then have gone through a proof of concept prototyping phase and are now in fully commercial development and deploying mobile flare gas treatment systems on well sites in North Dakota. Uh, one of the things we try to do on our show here is uh, when we discuss natural gas and flaring is not discuss the issue of flaring because everybody knows that it's a problem. We try to focus on the solution behind that problem. It sounds to me like you guys are one of those solution providers. Correct. Okay, uh, explain how you might provide that solution for the listening audience. That's great. When we th- when we think about the flaring issue in North Dakota, it is a big issue. It involves a lot of wells and a lot of gas. So the solutions have to range everywhere from the macro scale, which is the pipeline and the regulatory solutions coming from the NDIC, all the way down to smaller scale and really down to the smallest scale, which is right on the well site. G2IT's equipment in our service is that solution that sits right on the well site, attaches right to that flare line, and, and takes care and, and addresses a portion of the flaring issue right on the well site. So we're really the, the grassroots, the smallest part of the solution that can be on the well site. But as I showed today in my presentation, they're the additive, the cumulative impacts of doing a lot of things at the well site can have a really big impact on overall flaring. Are you a uh, long-term or a short-term solution for a lot of these companies? Meaning that, uh, is your solution something that we can expect to see 50 years from now in the Bakken, or is it kind of an interim type of uh, solution? The answer to that is both. We have we design our systems to be completely mobile, and the reason we did that is that we don't compete with the pipeline companies. We want to be there on day one when that well is completed. We want to be there as long as that well is flaring. When the pipeline gets there, we take our equipment and move. So that's our short-term solution. That's the interim. It can be a few weeks or a few months of actual operations on the well site. In the long term, we have develop, in, in development a smaller system that can be deployed in what's considered super-stranded wells, wells that may never be hooked up to pipeline due to topography, right-of-way issues, whatever issues, or potentially economic super issues with the pipeline. Super-stranded wells? That's a, coin, that's a term that Lynn Helms actually okay. coined. I can't take credit. Super-stranded. Okay. We used a term to call that, it abandoned. But. Well, no, super-stranded just means oil wells that are producing, they're not abandoned, they're producing, but there's no pipeline there and there never will be a pipeline I see. there. Okay. That's a term that Lynn Helms actually coined last year. I thought it was a very appropriate term. And there is, so long term, there's going to be wells that flare for a very long time. So the answer is that we have the ability, we're going to be around a long time, we have the ability to address flares both in a short term uh, on the higher, the higher rate flaring. And we're developing a solution to develop those longer term to try to, to try to deal with the long term flaring that could happen in some of these wells. So we're going to be around a long time. Uh, who, who is your ideal customer? Our ideal customers, the the people that we're working with now, which are the you know the, the large and small operators that are 
typically our, our best customers right now are the most active drillers because the most active drillers that are running the most rigs and the most completions have the most flow. So, so that's oil and gas company. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, not, not somebody looking for a burger. No, exactly. That's exactly uh, right. Speaking of which, how often do you make it out to the... First of all, where are you from? From Billings, Montana. That's where our headquarters is. And uh, how often do you make it out to the Bakken? Quite often, actually. More more on my side now from from going to business meetings, but usually every couple of weeks we're out there with somebody from our company, and most, mostly management's out there almost every week. We do have a good field presence now with a shop being built just just west of Watford City. So The natural gas industry... Uh, you, met, you mentioned uh, innovative flaring solutions. Uh, Ken DQ Bellis, he owns Blackridge Oil and Gas. He's the CEO and the president. He, he, I asked him, is natural gas undervalued in the box? And he said, absolutely, it's, it's wet gas. Uh, there's a higher premium to it. Uh, just your comments on that natural gas market, since mm-hmm. you deal so intimately with it. I would I would tend to agree with him that the that the gas is very much undervalued, and part of that is the fact that where the gas is located versus where the markets are. I mean that's that's always been an issue in the Williston Basin, both from crude oil and for, quite frankly and natural gas standpoint. But I'm more from, much more familiar now with the liquid side of the equation, and that would be the the NGL production side, which is the ethane, propane, butane. That's what we actually extract from the gas at the well site. So I'm very familiar with that, and that is very much a depressed market right now, and especially ethane, uh, the value of ethane, which is the C2 component, is almost zero. I mean, they're literally literally in the market, it's about $0.22. Cents. By the time you transport it from the Williston, we don't get any credit for the ethane that's in our liquids, even though it's a valuable hydrocarbon. So there are issues. There are definitely issues. And when you break down the individual components and what we produce, there's issues with those specific components and the economics and pricing of those. And, and again, it's all market-driven forces. It has to do with the supply of it and the fact that we have a lot of it and we don't have a lot of local demand. So it's got to be moved to other places. And uh, ethane is one that ethane is one that's not in great demand in North America. There's some demand man in Canada. Propane is one right now that they're actually starting to export more and more propane out of Mount Bellevue, Texas, down to Central America. There's a great demand for propane. That's going to open up the market. I think I'm excited about the potential for NGL exports, which are not regulated by the federal government like LNG exports. Our NGL exports are not regulated. I'm excited about those opportunities to be able to take our products and, and take them to places where there's higher demand. Well, it's interesting because um, the petrochemical industry is putting $30 billion into the infrastructure to do what you just said, to export Absolutely. that out. And so um, I, I, I think you're going to see a uh, wave of petroleum vehicles and uh, petroleum uh, transportation and those types of things as those investments start to come to life, like pumping stations and whatever else it might take. Are you hearing that same st- stuff within your industry? Absolutely. And, okay. and one of the things, as I mentioned today, one of the things that we really focus on is what we do to process the gas on the well site, strip those NGLs, condition that residue gas. And that's mostly methane and ethane that's mm-hmm. left over. We want to use that residue gas. The last thing we want to do is burn it. We can burn it. We can still flare that. It's a different flare. It's much, much better, much reduced emissions. We want to use that beneficially. And, and some of the best ways that I can see, as an example, small-scale, micro-scale liquefied natural gas plants. We're talking to people that 
that are building those and, are, and, and have that technology, that has a possibility of being totally transformational. If we can take that gas, we can liquefy it. Now it's easily transported. Now it can be used in vehicles for transportation. It can be used on drilling rigs. It can be, can be trucked and used for biofuel applications on drilling rigs. To me, that's transformational. And if the economics of that makes sense to operators, that is going to be big. And to me, I mean, that, that could totally change the industry. And that's something, those types of technologies are exactly what G2 is looking at to try to exploit and really offer to our operators. Once we, once we go in, we condition that gas, we want to use 100% of that gas on the, on the tail end of our system. And, and to me, LNG is transformation. And, and when it comes to transportation, it's probably, to me, is going to be the best, best option. Are you guys considered more of a tech company? I would say that we are a tech. Uh, we're, we're we're a service company. We're a mm-hmm. technology company. We're also a manufacturer because we do build our own equipment. Technology so. driven, though. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Much like this oil play. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Bakken well, is a technology play. We we actually came into this trying to trying to buy off the shelf gas processing equipment, refrigeration equipment, and we have not been able to find anything that was built to handle this type of gas because the stuff that we're seeing huh. in the Bakken and other oil plays is unlike anything that's ever been produced. This is the highest BTU, some of the richest gas that's that's really ever been seen, and it's and just buyers. amazing. Absolutely. We got Japan as a buyer. We got. Uh, Chemical companies like DuPont and Dow that want this gas extreme Absolutely. because it's uh, the wet gas, the butane and methane, and what was the other one? Poly. No, they got ethane, propane, butane, pentane, Bro, hexane. Pentane, that's yeah. what I always forget. <laughs> Pentane's plus, that's natural we, gasoline. Uh, we, we're here, we, we follow natural gas because, um, well, uh, former public service commissioner Tony Clark. Uh, I have a personal relationship with them, went to high school with them, went fishing with them. And uh, one day on my radio program, I asked him, this was about two years ago, um, kind of an exit interview as he was leaving the Public Service Commission after, I think, 10, 12 years. I said, uh, is natural gas, how, how do you rate natural gas? He said, Jason, that's the real wild card out there in the Bakken. Everybody's talking about oil. Everybody's talking about housing. Everybody said natural gas is the real wild card. Once it becomes economical for companies to extract it and ship it and logistically, you're going to see a new Bakken play out there. I don't think people understand that. I think you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. I just wanted to make well, sure. Another important part, Jason, is the fact that people don't realize that as this, as this formation produces and depletes some pressure, the actual gas the oil ratio, the GOR, of the field is actually projected to go up, meaning for every barrel of oil we produce, we're going to produce incrementally more gas. So this problem is not going away, and, and we know it's not going away because even now with the percentages dropping, the, the actual volumes of gas are not dropping on the flaring side because the production is coming up so fast. So as that with the, with the activity that's, that's happening out there and the fact that we have this increasing gas-oil ratio, which, which is going to help push that gas, the gas production mm-hmm. rates up itself, it's going to be a challenge. And it's something we definitely want to take advantage of because there, there's a lot of BTUs, as I showed in my talk today, there's a lot of BTUs in that gas. And it's something that you know we can capture right now, but we want to use that whole stream. Are you doing much with the carbon market? We have not, even okay. as far as exploring Just carbon anything, credits or anything. No, anything. no. It's, it's, um, it's becoming more of a market, especially in the Bakken. Mm-hmm. I'm starting to hear it more with the enhanced drilling, extracting, and 
doing more with the carbon, I guess. Hmm. I didn't realize it was such a market. It's been around for 50 years, but... I didn't I didn't know on the carbon market. Okay. You're not talking about the CO2 or... CO2. The, the, yeah. yeah, CO2. Yeah. Carbon sequestration yeah. or anything yeah. like that. Yeah. Well, you saw how we have a big impact on the CO2 emissions from these yes. projects. So, yeah. so they're, you know, and that's just one system. So it's pretty pretty big impact when you... Pump it in the ground. Right. And, <laughs> well, when you're taking... Well, of course, we're just, we're keeping that from being burned. So we're right. keeping that from being generated as CO2 on site. So... Bach and advice. Just any Bach and advice you might have. You've probably heard this before, but I've been in the upstream side of the EMP business for about 20 years now. One thing that we've learned about in our business is that this is cyclical. It is a cyclical business. There is going to be a slowdown. It's a question of, of how steep and how deep that slowdown, you know, how steep the decline is going to be and how deep it's going to be. And, and that will come because it always happens. It's, it's, it's happened to us. We talk about 20 years of Bakken drilling. I think there will be 20 years of Bakken drilling. It may not. It may happen in, in, in pieces. It may happen in big chunks. So I always encourage people that want to get into this industry, especially the young people, you know, get into the industry, but be smart about it. <laughs> Save your money and expect a downturn and prepare for a downturn because that's what companies do. And, and that's even what, you know, G2, we know that that could happen someday. And that's why we're, we, we've designed our business around the idea that things will slow down production completions everything will slow down with with you know decline in prices or something else so expect it prepare for it if it doesn't happen it'd be the first time what's the name of a good place to eat a restaurant always looking for a good Bakken recommendation my favorite meal in in the Williston Basin to be honest with you is the macaroni and cheese at the Cadillac on Main Street in Sydney so I have to say it can't be good for you but it is delicious all right Brian thank you much all right thank you and that was Brian Siebel Founder, President, and CEO of G2IT. To listen to the full-length interview or other Bakken bio interviews, visit the website buildingthebakken.com. And I'd like to remind you that interview was brought to you by The Crude Life. When you want to make money the crude way, contact The Crude Life. Visit their website at www.thecrudelife.com. And that concludes this episode of Bakken Bios. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Jason Spies.